Welcome to the Next Level Human Podcast. As a human, you have a job to do. In fact, you have four jobs. To earn and manage money, to attain and maintain health and fitness, to build and sustain personal relationships, to find meaning and make a difference. None of these jobs are taught in school. And that is what this podcast is designed to do. To educate us all on living our most fulfilled lives through the mastery of these four jobs. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Tita, and I believe we are here living this life for three reasons and three reasons only. To learn, to teach, and to love. In this podcast, I will be learning, teaching, and loving right along with you. I'm grateful to have your company. Here's to our next level. Welcome to the show today, everybody. Today, we're going to be doing part two of female-specific fat loss. As you probably know by now, I am doing a sales uh, process and launch for the Metabolic Female Professional Certification. And as part of that, I'm doing a free series of trainings. And part of that free series is a three or four-part series in the podcast about female fat loss. And I also have a free training that you can get access to that goes into this in depth um, on my site as well. So to get that particular free training, you can go to uh, drjade.com slash female cert, drjade.com slash female cert. And you'll get the actual training as well as an offer for the metabolic female professional course and certification. So let's get into it. Last time we uh, ended, we were talking about the ancestral uh, female, sort of paleo woman, and the realities of the female physiology in terms of how it evolved and the process of how it reacts and adapts to stress using sort of the primacy of the being the gender of childbearing and child rearing and how that has impact on the way the female system works compared to the male. Um, so a couple things from last time. One thing, just right off the bat, I misspoke in last episode when I was talking about um, the idea of how active paleo woman and paleo man are. And I said that they typically do 12 to 20 miles daily in terms of walking. That's actually not accurate. What I meant to say is 12 to 20,000 steps. So they typically... Um, on the low end, cover about five miles, and on the high end, uh, about 10 to 12 miles. Uh, every five miles is about 10,000 steps. Um, so I just wanted to make that clarification because sometimes I misspeak, but we don't want, we want to make sure we, we don't do that. And the reason why that's important is because when you think about it, right, 10,000 steps is exactly what the sort of certifying bodies and bodies that recommend uh, physical fitness levels um, like the American uh, Medical Association and the American Diabetes Association and the American Cardi Cardiology Association and all these things say we should be walking 10,000 steps daily for our health. Well, this is right in line with the lower level of activity that a paleolithic hunter-gatherer type of female would be doing. Now, 
What I want to talk about today, though, is I want to start getting into a little bit of the physiology of the female hormones. Last time we left off, we talked about this idea that men, they go through puberty and then they go through andropause. And these are sort of two different hormonal states that men go through. And then pretty much they stay static in those hormone doses throughout their lives. And we also talked about the idea that women go through many more. So let's go through them really quick. Well, women go through puberty, which is sort of the beginning of their hormonal sort of life cycle. They oftentimes, uh, depending on the woman and the choices involved there, go through pregnancy, which is a completely different hormonal state. They also go through uh, a, a cycle every single month, a reproductive cycle, which is a very unique changeable, even woman to woman, month to month, a hormonal sequence of events where estrogen and progesterone sort of go through this natural cyclical level. And it's not the same every single month, even for every single woman. So this is sort of like a fingerprint, a unique fingerprint, woman to woman, and it can even change month to month. So women are experiencing these hormonal changes every single month. And then, of course, as a woman approaches uh, menopause, she goes through what I would say is three different uh, menopausal states. One is the perimenopausal state. Next is the postmenopausal state. And finally, or the menopausal state. And finally, the postmenopausal state. And so women basically go through five stages of life in addition to having this changeable cyclical rhythm every single month. And this has bearing on female metabolism. So let's talk a little bit about this, because when you think about the hormones, estrogen and progesterone, the first thing that you have to think about is the following idea, because we have to get this out of the way. What is most uh, sort of the pri most primal or the prime sort of hormones to worry about or the prime uh, determinants of fat loss? Let's talk about that first, because whenever we talk about hormones nowadays, most women think estrogen and progesterone. And whenever women are dealing with weight loss resistance, metabolic uh, resistance or metabolic dysfunction, they oftentimes bring up estrogen and progesterone first. But we can't forget about the other hormones. And we also can't forget about calories, which are our main source of uh, hormonal drivers. In other words, the hormonal system in some ways is responding to the amount of calories in or out and also the amount of exercise in or out. In other words, the gap between calorie intake and output is a prime directive for the metabolism in terms of how it responds. And so although you might be thinking that estrogen and progesterone are the primary things to be worrying about in a female hormone, actually, they're a little bit further down on the list. And so if you envision a triangle with calories at the base of the triangle, meaning that calories are most important. And then as we go up the triangle, we say, well, what if calories are most important? What are the most important hormones? Well, Next up in terms of hormones would be the hormones insulin and cortisol. And why would we say they're next up from calories? Well, because they are the primary movers of metabolism as it pertains to the things that the body will encounter. In other words, stress and calorie intake. And so cortisol and insulin are right behind calories as a primary driver in metabolism uh, for men and women. But we're talking about women today. So calories at the base of the pyramid being most important, then insulin and cortisol probably being the next most important. And then up from that is going to be probably adrenal, 
hormones and thyroid hormones in terms of moving the metabolism. And then finally, all the way up, the, up at the base of the pyramid is estrogen and progesterone. So why am I going through that? Well, I'm going through that because if we're talking about female metabolism, we don't want to make the mistake, which is frequently made, to assume that if I can correct estrogen and progesterone in some way, shape, or form, which we'll get into a little bit about how that is a fraught with issues anyway, trying to measure and uh, estrogen and progesterone and manipulate estrogen and progesterone probably is not a viable option. But if we think that's all there is to metabolism, we're missing the big movers. In other words, you can have the most balanced estrogen and progesterone levels in the world and a fantastic cycle and all that stuff. But if you're overeating, then you're not going to lose weight. And this is a big piece of this. And so we have to take care of calories first. Then after that, we need to manage stress and insulin intake, which again, calories are our major driver of that. So is movement. And so when you think about it at the base of the pyramid, we're just talking about food. And then one step up, when we talk about insulin and cortisol, we're talking about food plus movement, right? And then as we go up one base from that, we're talking about then food plus movement plus stress when we add in the adrenal hormones and thyroid and then estrogen and progesterone sort of last on the list. And so the only reason I'm going through this first is to make sure that you understand it is wrong to think that the major drivers of female metabolism are estrogen and progesterone. In fact, the major drivers of female metabolism are the same drivers for men. Now, that doesn't mean estrogen and progesterone aren't playing a role. It's just that they're not playing as big of a role as most people think they are. Now, what estrogen and progesterone are doing, though, is they are having slight impact on uh, cortisol and insulin, and they're impacting things like thyroid and adrenal stress. And by the way, I have uh, construction going on in the background, so hopefully this mic will block out a little bit of that. But if you hear that beeping in the background... That is construction, and I'm hoping it's not going to be too much of a pain in the ass today, but I got to get this podcast out, and they're doing work, and so that's what we're dealing with. So hopefully that, that's not going to be too much of a bother for all of you. I'm hoping you're not uh, hearing it. Uh, so the point here is, is that you really want to understand that estrogen and progesterone, part of the reason they're so important and part of the reason we can't treat well, we can treat women like men with diet and exercise, but we might should not do that because if we take into account estrogen and progesterone, we can make a bigger difference. And so how does estrogen and progesterone first impact these other hormones? Let's go through that really quick. First, let's talk about estrogen. Estrogen is a hormone that makes the body more insulin sensitive and also makes the body less stress reactive or more able to manage cortisol. Now, you might say, well, how does this matter? What, what difference does this make? Here's the difference it makes. If a woman is uh, in calorie excess, in other words, she's overeating, but she's in an estrogen-dominant time, estrogen has uh, uh, several different effects. It makes the body more insulin-sensitive, it decreases the sensitivity to stress. It also has some anabolic action. So estrogen is a little bit like testosterone in that it can have some anabolic action. It can build up tissue. It can help build muscle. So when estrogen is around, it makes women in calorie excess less likely to store fat and more likely to store muscle. In other words, let's say you're in calorie excess and 
for, you know, the sake of, you know, just having some numbers to play with. Let's say 90% normally of excess calories would be stored as fat and 10% as muscle. When estrogen is around, it changes that a little bit. So now maybe you're storing 80% as fat and 20% as muscle. So sure, if you're in calorie excess, you're probably going to be storing mostly fat. But if you have good estrogen around and it's helping you be more insulin sensitive, less cortisol reactive, and has a little bit of testosterone-like action in terms of building up muscle, then some of those calories will be going to gaining muscle. Remember, just because you're losing weight or gaining weight does not mean that weight is always fat. It could be muscle as well or water. In other words, you can lose weight But just because you're losing weight doesn't mean you're losing mostly fat. You could be losing some muscle as well. Same thing goes for if you're gaining weight, it doesn't mean you're always gaining just fat. You could be gaining water weight and a little bit of muscle. Ideally, if you're going to gain weight and be in calorie excess, we would like you to be able to gain some metabolically active tissue like muscle in the process. And so estrogen does this. Likewise, if you're in calorie deficit, and you're in an estrogen dominant state, well, it's going to impact that a little bit. It's going to make you more likely to burn fat and a little less likely to burn muscle. And again, remember, the way the body works is it's not a great multitasker. So if you're in calorie excess, it likes to be building muscle and building fat. If you're in calorie deficit, it likes to be burning tissue, both fat and muscle. And so this is partly what's going on. So estrogen is useful here. Now, can that, that estrogen overcome you eating, you know, you know, crazy amounts of calories and uh, pastas and all that kind of stuff? No. However, if you're on that edge there and you're watching your diet and you're in slight calorie excess, that little bit of estrogen that you have in an estrogen dominant state actually may make that work better for you. Likewise, if you're in calorie deficit, Maybe you're going to burn less a percent of muscle than you normally would without estrogen. So estrogen is very useful in this regard. I'm sorry to break into the show, but I wanted to take a second to cover one of our sponsors and tell you all about Paleo Valley at paleovalley.com. These are the grass-fed sticks that I tell you all so much about that all of my friends know I have on hand constantly. They are in my car. They are at my house. I keep them at my sister's home and my parents' house. I have these things everywhere because they are the simplest, most convenient whole foods protein supplement you can get, almost like carrying around pure protein, low-carb protein in your pocket. They also, these Paleo Valley beef sticks, are the only the only 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef sticks on the market. They use organic spices. They are naturally fermented instead of using nitrates and nitrites that can be a problem in some of these cured meats, and they simply taste fantastic. Check out the original or the jalapeno. Those are my favorites. Please make sure you go over to paleovalley.com and visit when checking out, use the code next level for a 15% discount. Remember, our sponsors keep the show going by you giving them your patronage and spending your money on these high quality products. You actually do a few things. One, you're helping to support the podcast. And two, you are helping your health. And three, you are making sure that good 
quality companies like Paleo Valley can be out there doing their business, changing the world, making the earth better. One of the things you may not know about this is that grass-fed organic and grass-finished beef is doing something that is so utterly important for our environment, actually helping to repopulate the topsoil. A lot of people don't know this, but our topsoil is being extremely depleted. And raising animals, especially cattle, the correct way helps to get that topsoil back. This is one of the reasons why I love Paleo Valley, not to mention it tastes fantastic, but they're one of these companies, like my other sponsors, Cured Nutrition and Organifi, that are doing the right things by the environment. I really appreciate everything they do, and I hope you will check them out. Thanks so much. PaleoValley.com. Use the code NEXTLEVEL. And now, back to the show. It's Dr. JT to here, just breaking in real quickly. It is time to talk about one of our sponsors, our earliest sponsor, Cured Nutrition. This is a CBD company. Cured Nutrition is another one of those next level human companies that is doing amazing things in the world. Let me tell you a little bit about one of the things I've been doing with CBD here recently. There is some really interesting research showing that chronic cannabis users, these are people who are smoking marijuana, are actually down-regulating the cannabinoid 1 receptor. Well, guess what the cannabinoid 1 receptor is involved in? Well, it's involved in cravings and hunger. And there is some really interesting mouse research that shows mice given products that lower CB1 or being engineered with a lower CB1 activity actually eat less and are not obese as a result of that. And so I have been experimenting using CBD to lower hunger, to downregulate the CB1 receptor, just the way chronic cannabis users tend to be very thin. And it has been working very well. Now, of course, the other thing that I use this for and have used it for, for since day one is uh, Cured Nutrition has a product called Zen that is a mix of magnesium and CBD and some other really nice formulations in there that I use to help me sleep. I have notoriously bad sleep. My sleep still is not perfect, but the Cured Nutrition product Zen has made a big difference to helping me sleep better. And that is just huge. Now, of course, they have other products. They also have a product called Rise, which I do not use, but I have used in the past it is great for those people who like to have a pick-me-up in the morning to focus better. So Zen and Rise are fantastic, but any of their CBD products used for downregulation of the CB1 receptor to help with hunger and cravings, if you're one of these people who is constantly overeating and on a diet, you find that, hey, when I'm on a diet, I get this crazy sort of hunger and cravings. This may be something you want to check out. So check out CuredNutrition.com. Use the code NEXTLEVEL. I get a kickback to help us have these discussions on the show. It's a great way for me to be able to do this work. So thank you for Cured Nutrition for that. Of course, Cured Nutrition gets the sale and you get to work with a fantastic company that gets results with their supplements. I hope you will check them out. CuredNutrition.com. Use the code next level. And now let's go ahead and get back to the show. Let's do it. The way to think about estrogen is sort of a uh, female testosterone. It is uh, sensitizes the body to insulin. It helps manage stress. And we'll get into an, an analogy here in a minute that will help you remember this. But this is how it makes a difference. Now, 
It's influencing these things, but it's not as powerful as these things. Now, what about progesterone, you might think? Well, progesterone has the same cortisol-blocking effects or some of the cortisol-blocking effects as estrogen, but progesterone has the opposite effect on insulin. Progesterone actually makes you more insulin-resistant. And this will make sense here in just a minute when I talk about the idea of progesterone in the menstrual cycle and why progesterone might want to make the metabolism more insulin-resistant. Remember, the metabolism is an incredibly intelligent uh, system. It does things for a, a good reason. And when you understand why it's doing it, you can understand a little bit how to use diet and exercise and tweak this based on the menstrual cycle. So again, estrogen is sort of this building hormone. It helps manage stress. It makes you insulin sensitive. Progesterone is also helping you manage stress. It's not really a building hormone. Um, and it also is making you uh, more insulin resistant. And so it has this opposite effect compared to estrogen. And the way I like to describe this with estrogen and progesterone is the following. Think about them as two non-identical twin sisters. They're twin sisters because they are 100% reliant on each other. In other words, estrogen and progesterone have a nice uh, sort of uh, rhythm in the body. And when progesterone's around in enough quantity and uh, the brain receives that signal, it helps the estrogen signal and helps the body be more sensitive to estrogen and vice versa. When estrogen is around, it helps the body be more sensitive to progesterone. So you can kind of think of the hypothalamus in the brain as the mom, and you can think of estrogen and progesterone as the non-identical twin sisters. And the mom wants to interact with both of them and uh, treats them slightly different but they also knows that these sisters are dependent on each other. Now, in the first half of the menstrual cycle, estrogen typically dominates. So what ends up happening is estrogen is uh, when menses hits, the, in sort of medical lingo, uh, the, the first day of bleeding is the first day of the menstrual cycles, how we define it. Now, for that first little bit of time, as the uterine lining sheds, and that's what's happening, it's literally shedding the skin of the uterine lining where the woman then bleeds, what ends up happening is this resets the system. Right before this happened, estrogen and progesterone are both very low. The two, the two sisters are basically sleeping for the night. And then what happens is in the first half of the cycle, estrogen wakes up before progesterone. Progesterone likes to sleep in late. Estrogen likes to get up early. So in the first half of the, of the menstrual cycle, the first 14 days, estrogen is sort of up early playing by herself. Now, estrogen is a very sort of resilient, the resilient sister, the rambunctious sister, the adventurous sister. She's the go-getter sister. She wants to go out there and play, explore the world, get her feet wet, get her hands dirty. She's out there, you know, and the mom is always like, you know, kind of be careful, be careful because estrogen could just run off and get herself in trouble. And during the first half of the menstrual cycle, this is what's happening. The good news is estrogen is very resilient. She is very resilient to stress. She helps manage excess calories and manage uh, decreased calories. She is able to tolerate the stress of too much or too little exercise and the stress of too much or too little food a little bit better. 
So during that first two weeks of the menstrual cycle, estrogen is playing by herself. So what's this mean for a woman? It means a woman can train harder. A woman can handle more stress. A woman is more emotionally stable because estrogen in the brain, it's important to remember, there are receptors for estrogen and progesterone all over the body, including in the brain. And they also influence brain chemistry. Estrogen, when it's around, influences serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter that a lot of people think of serotonin as a uh, relaxing neurotransmitter. It is, but it's also probably the best described as a self-esteem neurotransmitter. When you have adequate serotonin, you just feel good about yourself and you feel good about the world. So when estrogen is around, women feel better about themselves and they feel better about the world because estrogen raises serotonin. Estrogen also uh, impacts Dopamine, which is a focus and drive and sort of ambition neurotransmitter. So when dopamine is around uh, and with serotonin, as it is with estrogen, those brain chemicals are sort of more active when estrogen is around. What happens is this woman is like, I feel good about myself. I'm nice and stable. I'm motivated to get to the gym. I'm better able to stay on my diet. I'm more insulin sensitive. In other words, the first two weeks of the menstrual cycle may be a time when a woman can get better results. There's a caveat to this, and we'll talk about here in just a minute. But this is important to understand about estrogen. Now, at ovulation, uh, when the follicle has developed, ruptured, and released the egg, the follicle becomes the corpus luteum. Up until this point in time, there is no progesterone in the system, just tr sort of trace amounts like there is in a man. After ovulation, the corpus luteum, which used to be the follicle that contained the egg, now becomes a source of progesterone. And now progesterone wakes up and goes out and plays with her sister. So for right after ovulation, you have this interesting time where both estrogen and progesterone are higher. But progesterone starts to dominate a little bit. And this is a very nice time for a woman because now you got estrogen still being out there, you know, attacking life and feeling good about herself. And you got progesterone sort of watching her back saying, hey, don't get in too much trouble. Don't get in too much trouble. Then at that point, estrogen starts to fall off a little bit and progesterone starts to dominate a little bit. Well, progesterone is the future-oriented sister. Progesterone is the sister that likes to save money and be a little bit worried about the future and not and want to save food in the pantry and not and want to look after a sister and say, don't get us in trouble and be careful, you might get hurt. And progesterone makes the body a little bit more insulin resistant. Now, why would this be? Because progesterone being the worried sister knows that, hey, this egg was just re released. A baby might be coming along. We should save some food for the baby. We should have a little bit extra blood fat, triglycerides, and a little bit extra glucose, blood sugar, in case this egg gets fertilized and we have to begin to su support a baby. So in a sense, progesterone is uh, saving food for a baby. This is why the insulin resistance makes sense from an evolutionary perspective. And of course, it's still blocking stress. So progesterone is essentially saying we're nice and safe. We want to block stress. We want to block cortisol. But we also want to make sure we have some extra food around. So it makes the body a little bit more insulin um, resistant. And then, of course, nighttime comes again. Both estrogen and progesterone sisters go down for, for a nap or go to bed. And the whole cycle starts over again. Now, testosterone gets in on the action as sort of the younger brother, in a sense. And so the younger brother sort of, um, or, or maybe we could call it the older brother, but the brother makes himself known right around ovulation. 
and right around menses. And, and maybe we should call the, this the older brother, in a sense. At ovulation, what ends up happening is you get a spike in testosterone. So why would a woman get a spike in testosterone around ovulation? So that she craves and wants sex. So that she could collect sperm for, to, protect, to potentially have a baby. And so testosterone is driving sort of that uh, reaction right around ovulation. This is why many women will feel an uptick in libido and desire for sex right around, um, right around their uh, ovulation. Again, at uh, menses, the same thing kind of happens. So this time, it's basically where the twin sisters go to bed and testosterone stays up a little bit later and makes himself known there. So it's sort of like this unmasking of testosterone. So a lot of women will also get a uh, you know, sort of uptick in libido right around menses as well. So testosterone definitely <clears throat> has libido-enhancing effects, so much so that in clinical practice, if we have a woman who is having low libido, we almost always think testosterone because it's pretty reliable uh, to give testosterone at that time. And even a testosterone precursor called DHEA can be very useful um, for women at this time. So this is really important in terms of a woman potentially using her cycle to her advantage where she can train hard and eat more during the follicular phase or when estrogen is dominating and train less and eat less and relax a little bit more when progesterone is dominating. Now this gets a little bit tricky because you could also break up the menstrual cycle into not just follicular phase where estrogen is dominating and progesterone uh, or luteal phase where progesterone is dominating, but you can also break it up into four phases where you got the early follicular phase, which is essentially menses, the, the time of bleeding, late follicular phase where estrogen is high without progesterone, early luteal phase where estrogen and progesterone are now playing together, and late uh luteal phase where estrogen is dropping off and progesterone is close behind. What we can look at primarily between these two hormones, estrogen is probably the more dominant sister when she's around. Progesterone has a regulating effect, but in terms of what it's doing in the body, uh, it is having you know more action. Estrogen is a little bit more strong in its influence on the female uh, sort of metabolism. And so there are two ways to look at this. You can either think of this from training and eating in a relative estrogen time, meaning that when estrogen is relatively higher than progesterone, um, or you could think of this when estrogen is at its highest, absolutely. Estrogen is relatively greater during the, the early follicular phase and the late follicular phase, but it's absolutely higher during the late follicular phase and the early luteal phase. And so there, this gives us two options in terms of uh, a woman uh, training and exercising. If you want to use the relative aspect, you can train more and eat more during the follicular phase. But if you want to use the uh, sort of uh, luteal, uh, late follicular phase and early luteal phase, when estrogen is absolutely greater, then you would train in the middle of the cycle. So there's two different ways to do this. Now, how would you decide? Well, some women don't feel great premesterally and don't want to be working out like crazy when they're in an active bleed. And so those particular women may choose to train more, eat more during the middle of the month, the week before and after ovulation, and eat less, train less during the premenstrual time and the menstrual time. Other women may actually like it the other way around, where they eat more, train more in the 
sort of menstrual week and the week after menses and eat less, train less the week after ovulation and the week before menses. So it gives us options here. And this would depend on the woman. Also, what we need to also cover is progesterone because this has sort of some uh, impact here. If a woman is experiencing lots of mood, especially anxiety towards the end of her cycle, this might mean that progesterone is somewhat deficient in this particular woman and might mean she wants to be a little bit more careful around that premenstrual time. Progesterone also impacts brain chemistry and it mainly impacts the relaxing neurotransmitter called GABA, G-A-B-A. You can always remember GABA by GAB, ah, it relaxes you. So GABA is a relaxing neurotransmitter and progesterone is relaxing. In fact, clinically speaking, when we see women going through perimenopause or women who have dieted themselves into an anxious state, it almost always means progesterone might be beneficial. We don't always give direct progesterone. Sometimes we'll give Vitex or some progesterogenic type of herbs that work on the hypothalamus um, first, but oftentimes progesterone can be very useful. Progesterone by itself for women who are having anxiety that's keeping them from sleeping, especially around the perimenopausal state. And so you can see these have different sort of uh, effects here in terms of estrogen and uh, progesterone and just looking at the individual woman and letting them choose. But this can be a really useful time in terms of when do you think dieting and exercising would be most difficult and most stressful? Over-exercising and under-eating, doing the eat less, exercise more approach is going to be better tolerated when estrogen is around relatively higher and absolutely higher. But that last week, of the late luteal phase is probably a time where eating less and exercising more is not a great idea. That's something that you're going to want to probably be in a state of eat less, exercise less, because the effects of progesterone, you definitely don't want to be in an eat more, exercise less state either. And that's why I'm going through these, these different sort of toggles. Now, in the free training that I'm doing on the Metabolic Female Professional Education and Certification, I will cover these different toggles in depth. If this is the first time you're hearing of things like eat more and exercise more and eat less and exercise less and eat, eat less and exercise more, etc. And we also talk a little bit about a toggle called the eat some, exercise some toggle. The whole point of these different toggles is that if you are constantly living in either the eat less, exercise more state or the eat more, exercise less state, the dieter versus the couch potato, you're actually missing how the metabolism works. The metabolism likes to be very flexible and jump into each of these different toggles, which is why it is very important to understand some of the this vernacular and nuance as it pertains to the metabolism. Eating less and exercising less is probably the least stressful. It's certainly less stressful than eat less, exercise more and eat more, exercise less and is a little bit less stressful than eating more and exercising more. Remember, the gap between calorie intake and output is going to directly impact how you want to use estrogen versus progesterone in the menstrual cycle. And so hopefully this explains. Now, before I end this podcast, let's talk about one other special case, and this would be pregnancy and breastfeeding. Uh, one of the things that happens is a woman is almost always or never really progesterone dominant. 
But when she is pregnant and breastfeeding, she becomes progesterone dominant. Once again, this makes sense, right? Because progesterone is the sister that wants to hold back food for the baby. And so whenever a woman is pregnant or breastfeeding, the progesterone sister is sort of dominating in this sense, saving food for the baby. You also, right around breastfeeding, get prolactin release as well, which is partly responsible for releasing and expressing milk. Prolactin, prolactate. And so, but prolactin also makes the woman a little bit more insulin uh, resistant. So during this time, during pregnancy and during breastfeeding, the woman is going to be holding on to fat and higher blood sugars. And this is one of the reasons why what we see in the research is that a woman who bottle feeds her baby will lose weight faster after pregnancy than a woman who breastfeeds uh, her baby. However, the woman who breastfeeds her baby will end up with a healthier, more flexible, leaner metabolism in the long run versus the woman who bottle feeds. And this is partly because of progesterone and prolactin effects, making her hold on to that weight until um, she weans the baby off. And this is one of the things you have to be careful about when working with female clients who are breastfeeding their babies and complaining about the weight not coming off fast enough. Part of that is due to that she is keeping herself in a progesterogenic state and um, a prolactin state, which means she probably needs to eat less calories than she thinks in order to get the baby weight off. So there's two things to do there. One, you can just say, hey, take it easy. Just let your body hold on to that fat. It's wanting to do that for the baby's sake. Or you actually are going to have to eat a little bit less um, than you thought. Now, you might say, well, Jade, why would you be telling a woman to eat less at breastfeeding? By the way, I would not be telling a woman to eat less at pregnancy. However, I certainly also would not be telling a woman eat for two. Um, you only you don't need any extra calories in terms of pregnancy for the first trimester, and you only need a couple hundred calories for the second and third trimester. And so you don't need a whole lot of extra calories to maintain pregnancy. Not to mention at breastfeeding, when you're trying to take the weight off, this is a benefit. You can cut calories back and your body will be ramping up, uh, you know, sort of your metabolic rate and making you a little bit more metabolically flexible to feed the baby. You just will have to eat less than you thought because of the progesterone effects. So I'm going to end there. I know this is a very complicated sort of science, but hopefully it gives you sort of an understanding of the nuances of this and how, by the way, Think about this. None of what I just covered applies to men whatsoever. All of this is specifically women from the brain chemical effects to the effects on estrogen and, uh, you know, progesterone effects it has on cortisol and insulin. And by the way, one other thing I won't get into details here, but estrogen dominant states also impact thyroid because they increase thyroid binding globulins which then decrease the amount of free thyroid around us. So this is one of the reasons why women are more prone to hypothyroid states compared to men. So see how different it is being in a female metabolism versus being in a male metabolism and how important it is for professionals to understand these different hormonal states. Imagine how you can help your clients by understanding this. Now, in the next and final lecture, which may turn into two, but in the next one of the series, I will cover menopause uh, in depth and what happens when estrogen and progesterone both go away at menopause. But for now, this hopefully gives you some range to really understand the complexity here. So 
What I hope you will do is join me on the metabolic female professional education and certification training that I will be doing. You can access that training by going to http://drjade.com slash female cert drj.com slash female cert to get the free training and to jump on board for those professionals who want to get a certification in the advanced science of metabolism along with this in-depth understanding of female endocrinology. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today and I will see you at the next podcast.